With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E podcast. And we're pleased to be joined by Joe Ernst, the ECHL Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations. It's actually his 32nd year working for the ECHL, last five in his capacity. He oversees the league's day-to-day hockey operations and officiating departments. He worked 16 years as an on-ice official in the ECHL, AHL, and IHL, becoming the first person inducted into the ECHL Hall of Fame in 2011 in the referee and linesman category. And lots we want to talk about with this man, but first off, let's bring him on. Joe, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Uh, Joe, good to see you. Uh, let's start off just with, uh, you know, people need to understand you've been around the league for a very long time and have an incredible perspective. I mean, you've probably seen more games than than anybody. Um, in, in your opinion, uh, you know, as the ECHL has progressed from its infancy to where we are today, what are you seeing in terms of the quality play of play in the ECHL this season? I think the game's just gotten faster. Um, I think it's faster and, and more skilled. Obviously, um, the fighting is is gone. You know, I'm not going to say gone away, but it's gone down. Um, so I think. With more contracted players in the league, um, I think the skill, the skill level has gone up. Our goals are up a little bit, so um, I would say skill, skill level is is the key, um, key to the the league right now. Um, you know, one of the things that you are in charge of, of course, is the officials. Uh, I, I certainly don't envy you that job sometimes because you got the fans, you got the coaches, you got media people like me kind of critiquing what you're doing. <laughs> um, but people seem to forget yeah, it is a developmental league for the referees and the linesmen as much as it is for the players. So can you talk a little bit about just what you're seeing right now from the officials in the ECHL? You know, what are the things that you're stressing as somebody who is their boss and, and things that they need to work on to develop to kind of move up to the next level? Well, we're, we're young. Um, actually, we hired a new manager of officiating in November, Riley Yurkovich, uh, with the departure of Stephen Thompson to the American League. Um, so, you know, he's getting his feet under him, just being off the ice uh, from last season. But we're young. We have a young staff. We're trying to develop. Um, and, and the key is just to try to be, I mean, as, as everybody says with officiating, you want to be consistent. So we're trying to make them understand consistent communication um, and just trying to develop them. And as you know, now we're getting into, we're, we're almost into February here where, now it's starting to heat up, right? So we got a lot of officials that are going through the stretch run, the motion times, you know, the, the, the teams have seen the officials a lot now. The officials have seen the teams a lot. So, you know, some guys they might not like some, you know, what, uh, as we'll say. So there's a lot of emotion picking up. So we're just trying to stress, you know, consistency, you know, hold, you know, stay to the standard and, and you know, just make sure we're communicating with uh, with um, the coaches and the players and everything else. And, and Riley does a good job. He sends out weekly videos, you know, our goalie interference stuff, um, <clears throat> penalties, good penalty calls. Um, we started doing linesman stuff now too. Uh, Timmy Nock is helping uh, Riley with that, putting together some linesman video um, to send to the linesman. So it's all about teaching, right? They're, they're young. It's no different than teams. Um, 
but we just we just need to stay the course here. We're we're getting in the meat and potatoes of the season right now for sure. As someone who oversees offici- officiating, you know, in a professional hockey league or has been involved um, in some capacity for a while now, what do you think about? Because you know, in the NBA sometimes they'll have a release about where a call was wrong, um, and they'll kind of. I think the NFL has it sometimes as well. Some fans sometimes, and obviously in the heat of the moment for the NHL, and this is just a general question, have said about either the refs answering to media or yeah. of having some sort of consistent release from the head officiating department. What do you think about that? And just the notion of maybe refs answering the media in certain situations. Well, Justin texts me usually if there's something that comes up. So so if you're in Fort Wayne, you usually get an answer. Right. Um, we don't have a lot of beat writers that are following the team like Justin does in Fort Wayne or Mark does in, in Toledo. Um, but if there's any questions, we'll, we'll answer them from, from a, uh, from anybody, from if it's a reporter or whoever it is from a team set, but we'll answer them. Like, I mean, obviously video doesn't lie. So if, if we messed up, then, you know, um, we're, we're going to admit we messed up. If we're right, we're going to tell you we're right. And we'll give you, we'll give you the reasons or the rule numbers why, you know, why such a play was a, you know, maybe there's a penalty or a goal or no goal um, in those situations. Um, and a lot of that is communication with the coaches as well from, right. from Riley's end or even my end. But what about like in general terms, just sort of like whether the NHL or AHL, what do you think about the idea of officials, you know, answering directly to media? Like it, I, I'm sure some would be like, that's a ridiculous idea. Some would say yeah. be good for transparency. What do you think? As long as it was, I guess as long as it was recorded, um, of course, you know what I mean? Just as long as we record it, because obviously sometimes the message gets mixed up between speaking to somebody and writing it down and then putting it on paper to the public. Um, but I mean, as, as long as, I mean, there's video and everything for, for everybody sees everything now, like everybody has a phone and they're recording or so they all see it. So if you, if, if there's an explanation given needed, then why not give it, uh, give it to the fans. So uh, it was on a recent episode, and we were talking a little bit about the uh, the two referee system and how you guys are using that in twenty five percent of the games. And I think these guys were a little bit surprised that the ECHL wasn't already at the two referee system. And I I, I explained what I do, yep. which is you know there's a lot of factors. You got to find the capable referees. There's money involved. You know travel. Can you talk a little bit just? about what is holding that up and, and where you see the evolution of, you know, maybe the ECHL going to a full-time two-referee system and, and if that's important to you. I, I think it is right now. I mean, from from a one-referee system, we're asking guys to do something that's probably not really possible. Like to, to cover the whole ice with the speed of the game, stretch passes, everything else. Um, you know, we incorporate a video replay, which helps at the net. Um I'm a big proponent of the one referee system because I think it helps develop a referee, but now we're at the point where the speed is so fast that they can't, it, we're not, we're asking something to do that's not fair. And everybody coming up now is doing the two referee system. So when they come to the ECHL, it's kind of like foreign to them to do a one referee system anymore. Um, it's, it was a big financial commitment by our owners this year to, to do it. Every team is doing night home games. Um, we don't get any money from the NHL or any other league right now. Um, so, and we're pretty much, pretty much the only league that doesn't, um, get anything towards officiating and we're developing quite a few guys, um, as you had seen last year for the Stanley cup finals, the guys that came through us. Um, so we're in the process, hopefully maybe working with the NHL a little bit more. Is there anything from like, say the combine we can 
develop guys um, to to use in the two referee games. Uh, you know, let them learn and everything else. And and also that the, the officiating pool is 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 kind of slim right now. Um, you know, when I started what twelve years ago, whatever sixteen years ago I was on the officiating side, like I had a pick of the litter with guys coming down. Uh, but now it's you know you're you're finishing your playing career and you're going right to the American Hockey League. So the and and you're starting the referee at the American Hockey League, which never happened before. So I think that I think if we I think we need to have maybe change some of the development a little bit more and you know utilize us a little bit more to learn at the ECHL. Because listen, I mean, Justin, you've seen a lot of games. If you're going to see something, you're probably going to see it at the ECHL, and you're going to learn and be able to uh, develop and see those crazy things that happen and how do you react and and everything else from from both referee and linesman. Um, I don't know where we go from 25%. Um, again, it's going to depend on a, what the owners want to spend and B, do we get any, you know, are, is there any financial help that we're going to be able to get? And um, we're working on that right now. Um, but I, I don't think that 25% is going away. I'm hoping that it jumps up and, and, uh, and we can use it to, to develop some more guys in the two referee system. To, to follow up on what you were just saying, um, you know, there are, I think, three players that I covered in Fort Wayne, uh, Kyle Flemington, Justin Key, and Jake Camres, who are all officiating, some uh, some at the NHL level, others at the AHL level. Um, you know, why is that? Why do guys like that, I mean, not them in particular, but how are they skipping the ECHL level and going directly to the AHL, NHL? Is that just the higher leagues kind of now have the pick of the litter now and can, can take who they want? Well, they, they have a deal. The, the American League and the NHL have a deal that, from a development standpoint, to send guys there. So, I mean, I don't know from the financial standpoint what it is, but that's why they go to the American League. Like, the, the, the NHL can assign guys. They have their minor league contracted guys, and then they have a quote-unquote prospect pool that they send to, that they send to the, the, the American League. Um, and that's why they go there. Um, so different like this year, we have Riley Brace, who's a former player who we started off developing here early on, and now he's working games in both leagues uh, as a referee um, that went to the combine. But that's what we need to maybe work on is, is to try to get the um, more guys from the combine to come to the ECHL. But at the same time, it's the, the, the NHL is almost funding that, funding that where our owners are funding it. So that's, that's the difference where, we're, and at the same time, you have a lot of teams that are owned by NHL clubs at the American League. So it's maybe Robin Peter to pay Paul, just a different maybe money line. Where ours is, it's coming out of the owner's you know budget um, for you know the flights and the game fees and, and the mileage and per diem and hotels and everything else. Uh, our owners are incorporating that cost. How do you guys find referees? I know that you've, you've made reference to, like I know the AHL has a combine, um, yeah. the one that you referenced, the NHL. But for you guys, how do you find referees? Are you seeking out people at lower levels? Are they looking at you? Like, how does that come together? We go to, well, we go to the combine um, and, and work with them on that. Um, we go to USA Hockey. Um, we get, and we get guys from the, the three major junior leagues. Um, most of our guys are coming from the, the ODP, which is the Officiating Development Program in USA Hockey. Um from but we'll get the odd um, Canadian guys and everything else. Um, when I was running it years ago, um, <clears throat> we were hiring. We were getting a lot of guys from the Quebec League, and we still are getting guys from the Quebec League 
um, to come and work and everything else. We had a pretty good run with some of the uh, the Quebec guys uh, over the years. Um, but it's just building the relationships and, and working and and who wants to to come and work pro hockey. You know what? And um, do they want to move to an apartment? We have league apartments, or can we travel them? Um, from where they live, depending where they live, is it feasible to to have them live at home and and, and work uh, work games and fly them all over the place from a budget standpoint as well? well you said league apartments there. Sorry, Justin. I just want to ask, what do you mean league apartments for? Like, is that for referees included? Yeah. We have referees and linesmen living in league apartments. We have uh, uh, we have a Wichita, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and a Greenville apartment where we have full-time officials living um, that we pay the cost of them to, to live. And it helps obviously with travel, right? Uh, from having these guys there and having, especially linesmen and, and we'll just say in the Southern cities um, with Greenville, um, South Carolina, uh, Greenville and Charleston, um, <clears throat> being able to, you know, the Wednesday games that we have or Tuesday games or Thursday games where, you know, you're not going to fly guys in um, to those areas. So, our guys that live in the apartments in, in those areas work uh, a boatload of games, probably over 100 games a year. So, uh, Joe, uh, adjudicating supplemental discipline is obviously a, a part of your job and certainly one that's talked about and scrutinized a little bit. Can you pull back the curtain a little bit on how you arrive at whether you're going to suspend a guy and for how long? Because I would imagine there are a lot of factors. Maybe, I'm guessing, maybe you're comparing it to past hits whether a guy's a repeat offender, yep. uh, wondering whether you consider whether there was an injury on the play, how that factors in. Just, uh, yep. you know, how, how do you come to those decisions? So so we ha- we automatically review any f- majors, major games, and match penalties. Um, and the coaches are on their own for sending in a review for a, a, a non-call or a minor penalty, or maybe a double minor penalty. Um, they're, on the, they're on the hook for that. Um, so once we get to the point where, is it a, is it a major ma- major penalty or a match penalty? Then we decide. Okay, that's when the discipline will start. Like if we deem it's a minor penalty, um, then it's no suspension, no fine, no nothing. Um, now, if we get to the major penalty, now we say, okay, like when is like what was the how bad was the hit? You know, what was the intent um, from the hit? You know, when did it happen? Like, is there a play that happened? You know, in the first period where it was a boarding penalty, where you know the guys missed three quarters of a, or two thirds of a hockey game, you know, and, and plus some in the first period, you know, do we count that as a game? Um, and then we obviously repeat offender. Is there guys that have a long history of, you know, a, a rap sheet on different plays? No, it's when we're saying that, like it's, it's gotta be within pretty much the, you know, year and a half too, right? We don't go back five years and say, okay, this guy had a boarding penalty five years ago. So we're going to deem him a repeat offender. That's just not how it goes. Um, so the more you're in trouble for the, for the same thing, the more it's going to go up. So let's take, for instance, if a guy is a first time offender and it's a boarding penalty, um, let's just say we're going to give him two games. We'll just say two games. Now we have a guy that's maybe dealing with his third boarding penalty of, uh, of the year or within the last year, maybe we're starting at three and we're adding two to three games more because he's a repeat offender and, and everything else. And then, and then we throw injury onto the, onto it. Like did the hit. You know, was it a non-hockey play? Um, you know, did it cause injury? If it caused injury, and we're deeming a suspension, there's going to be there's going to be a game or two added to it. But the misconception of everybody is that they think because there was a hit was an injury, it's automatic suspension, right? So technically not, because it could be a clean hit that was a hockey you know hockey play, or um, you know, but depending on the severity of the injury, the severity of the hit, 
you know, repeat offender, time a game. Um, is it a is a message sending hit? Like, is the game over with? And we got teams just kind of running around. So we throw all that stuff into it um, and come up with our decisions. Um, usually, when we when we're talking like checks ahead, we're usually starting at if, if we deem it a match penalty and deem it checked ahead, we're starting it at two games um, per our competition committee. And if repeat, it's going up. If there's injury, we're gonna we're gonna add a couple more games onto it, a game or two onto it um, for for checks ahead, and then. You know, and then other stuff like negative fan interaction that goes right up the chain to Ryan. Um, and I can talk him off the ledge or I can help him get off the ledge, uh, depending on the severity of stuff that happens. But at the end of the day, he's making the final call on some of the negative fan interactions, gestures, slurs and all that other stuff. But I, I'll help him in that. But that's one of the ones that uh, it's his final decision. To watch the full-length episode and explore past episodes on all our shows, go to THN.com slash podcast. You know, that being a double-edged sword, like maybe yeah. you make a decision and maybe you don't like it, or do you want to be, be beholden to that decision for years to come? But yeah. I can also see, you know, hey, this is a similar hit to one that I gave two games for two years ago, and look at that. I mean, so do you compare it to, to past hits? Yeah, I'll look back and see like if there's a, a play. Um, I'll look back and see if there's a play that happened maybe last year or earlier this year. Um, funny thing is we had two checks that had last Saturday and then this past Saturday that were – there's nothing the same, right? There's never anything that they're the same. They're, they're similar plays. Um, one happened like literally three minutes into the game, and we gave them two games, and one happened middle of the second period where we gave them three games. So it was kind of like – three game suspension uh, on those plays, but we'll look back and look and see what happens. And then, you know, we've had a, you know, um, a player that's had a little bit of history this year. Um, and looking back to his particular kneeing penalties, we've looked back and we've said, okay, like you've been suspended three different times for pretty much the same type of kneeing penalties. And we'll use that. Um, and, and, or if there's any like a boarding penalty, like we'll look and say, um, it's point, but most of it is, is, is looking back to get an idea of what we've done. So we're kind of fair, um, in that. And then also like, you know, the history and the player and stuff. And I'll tell you, like, tell you one thing, there's, there's always, um, there's always a player two during the season that you look back at the end of the year and say, you know what, I went maybe one game too many, or I went one game too much, or I should have went four games instead of two games. There's always those. I'm going to be honest with you. Every year you look back and you go, yeah, maybe we went a little bit lighter on that. Um, but you try to, when you start the season, you want to make sure you're setting your standard for the rest of the year, because all of a sudden you go five games on the first play. Now come April, where we know the pressure starts to mount, now you tie your hands on, on different things. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Joe, is, you know, I'm somebody that sort of likes the human element of officiating, you know, like I, I personally, um, you know, and it's not just hockey, you know, I watch all the replays and the VARs and everything. And I'm like, we're phasing out the officials. I mean, as somebody that was an official for a long time, um, I mean, do you like the direction we're going where we got the video replays and you know, I, I couldn't tell you, has there been a, a, a stick measurement in hockey in the last decade? I mean, stuff like that. I mean, do you like the direction that it's going or do you sort of miss those days where the, the officials really had a bigger personal role in it? I like the replay. To, I like to get it right. Right. So here's one of the things is, is the, the offside one kind of drives you crazy to a certain degree. 
because um, like if it's an inch or whatever it is, now they can review it. The play goes on for a minute and a half. Next thing you know, it goes in the net and, and stuff. I can't – I'm going to be honest with you. I can't stand the goalie interference. I, I really can't. And the, the reason is, is there's three of us on the call right now. I guarantee we can watch a video, and two of us are going to say it's a goal, and one of us is going to say it's not, or vice versa. Um, and we get the NHL ones, and I look at them each week. And there's some weeks I go like one for four. And I'm like, <laughs> we're trying to say there's goals. Like we're trying to say we want goal. We want scoring to go up. Like everybody wants to see goals and fights, right? In hockey, that's that's what they want to do: goals and fights. And like we're giving the goalies too much room and everything else. Like I, I just, I don't know. That they drive me nuts. I think the 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 replay for the goals was when it started out. It was. Did the puck go across the line? Did it go inside the net? You know, did it now it's now it's like, okay, did the guy did the guy touch him with a stick that maybe affected him? And you were gonna wave it off because you know he hit his blocker a little bit, but it went on the glove side. And and to me, it's just like I get it, like, but it drives me nuts. The goalie interference and we have it, right? And it drives me nuts that we we look and, and I'll give you a quick thing on the goalie interference. We had a play in Tulsa a few weeks ago that we sent to our, our, our development coaches. And I literally just got the, the numbers before I came on the phone that we had, it was 26 or 23 that thought it was a goal and 16 that thought it wasn't a goal <laughs> out of this play. Like, and so I said, Riley said, send it to the NHL. Let's see what they say. And I'd like to see what, what they say. It was a play where the goalie came out and the guy ran, you know, ran into him, but it was almost at the hash marks. I, I'm not going to say quite the hash marks. It was between the top of the crease and the hash marks. And we, I think we had, we disallowed the goal, um, but that's how goofy it is. There's 23 right. that said it was a goal and 16 that said it wasn't. So there's just no right or wrong answer on the goal interference. So that one drives me nuts. I feel less bad about all the arguments I have yeah. than on social media with people where I'm going back and forth about, is it interference? Is it yeah. not? So it, it happens everywhere. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Joe, thank you so much for all your time. Hopefully, this put Justin at bay, and you'll, he'll stop contacting you. And he got it all out of his system. Um, so, I guess you know you're welcome in a sense. But, anyways, Joe, thank you so much, and uh, hope to have you on again. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks to Joe for coming on. Great level of honesty and sort of detail into what goes into things that I'm sure Justin is just going ballistic about on social media. And, and now I know kind of why you are a grumpy angry man sometimes on twitter you know i i you you're you test the limits with officiating my friend oh so grumpy with the officiating oh not in general you're a wonderful man i oh, meant okay. more so when it comes to officiating yeah i'm not afraid to analyze officiating i mean i did it at a low level but i did officiate so i feel like Fair. i at least have some understanding of the rule book and enough knowledge to be able to at least challenge some people on calls that i don't like but that's fair it's interesting too. the MLB or like baseball in general, they have this like judging the ump sort of website where they rate umpires efficiency. It's really hard to do in hockey, especially with how much game managing and just like subjective nature. But that'd be a cool thing if we could have um, something like that, some sort of, you know, non-biased demeanor, but that's probably hey, when AI comes into account, we'll be able to do that. A, uh, a 10 second story. When I used to cover the United hockey league, I used to actually do rankings of officials oh and I was just doing it to sort of be funny. And the fans got really into it. Well, that league folded. And then I ended up being kind of friendly with some of these refs on social media. And it turned out they were all glued to those rankings. 
every awesome. week they would look at it. They actually had some pride in it. They actually argued about it. I mean, of course, they were just joking about it, but I always thought that was funny too. That's awesome. Let's get to our prospect of the week, and that is Carson Folkt of the Kalamazoo Wings. 22-year-old forward. He's in his last year of his entry-level contract with the Vancouver Canucks. He's the only ECH, only sorry, Vancouver contracted player in the ECHL. 2019 fifth-round pick. He's got 15 points in 23 games this year, and this is interesting. So he his first three games of the year, he's in the AHL, scored two goals actually. The last two years, he was playing with Vancouver's AHL affiliate. Definitely a, a puzzling situation, um, given not just the fact that he's a prospect, but not, but by basic you know, counting stats, he seemed to do decent to start the year in the AHL. But now he's in the coast. Um, Justin, like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> well, I got to watch him last week. I, I like him. You know, he's he's a skilled, opportunistic player. Um, you know, he's not really big. Uh, six feet, 180 pounds. Uh, he's a lefty center. So, you know, you're wondering, what, why, is he, why is he in the ECHL? It's probably one of the big things. And, you know... I, even though Vancouver is kind of a mess, they actually have some depth at that position throughout their system. So it's not shocking to me that he hasn't stuck yet at the AHL level. But, um, you know, he's he's just a good opportunistic shooter and, uh, you know, comes up in the crunch. You know, I, I watched some of those uh, those two AHL games where he scored early in the season, um, you know, just got some good opportunities in high leverage situations and, and took advantage of them. And that's kind of what he's doing at the ECHL level right now. He's, he's looking strong for Kalamazoo, in my opinion. But with 15 points in 23 games, is it safe to say his output is kind of disappointing from you know Kalamazoo's point of view? Or is this something that you see fairly often when guys are coming down, they're either dejected and upset, gain the rhythm of, of what is a more chaotic league? Or, or what do you make of that kind of element of it? Well, I, I don't look at his numbers as disappointing in any way. I mean, some things you need to consider here. Kalamazoo, uh, it, they're improved, but they're still not a great team. You know, they're working their way up in what might be the toughest division in the league. They've got a new head coach this year in Joel Martin. So they are still kind of finding their feet. They have had a lot of player movement. Um, you know, they got players from multiple organizations. But what I look at is I say, look, this is a guy that's doing pretty well on a team that is a little bit limited offensively overall. And he's shown to be one of their more consistent guys. And like I said, opportunistic. He's sneaky. He's going to come out of the corners with the puck. He's going to unleash some shots, try to get an unsuspecting goaltender, have some success. But, um, you know, I'm sure there is a little what you're getting at. You know, you have to reacclimate when you're at the ECHL level opposed to the AHL level. He's going to be asked to be like a top line guy here when he's certainly not doing that in Abbotsford. So there is an adjustment, but I don't look at his numbers as being a disappointment at any stretch of the imagination for this level right now. As an aside, why are Canuck players even with Kalamazoo? So it's a it's a strange situation. Uh, Vancouver is one of the, I believe it's four NHL teams that do not have an ECHL affiliate. So they need to find someplace else to put their guys if they want to put them somewhere. Obviously, we're not talking about a lot of guys right now. They got one NHL contracted guy in the ECHL. Now, there is an existing relationship with Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo was affiliated with Vancouver um, couple years ago don't remember the exact year uh right now the Kalamazoo Wings are actually affiliated with the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Cleveland Monsters so they do have some guys from that organization one of them is Ole Julian 
Borgvik Holm. I know it's a it's a mouthful, but he's a strong defenseman on a Blue Jackets contract. They got uh, defenseman Chad Nychuk. He's an Abbotsford guy. They've got goalie Evan Cormier. He's a Cleveland guy. And they've got defenseman Olivier LeBlanc. He's a Cleveland guy. So in answer to your question, Cleve, uh, Kalamazoo, it's just kind of become a melting pot. I guess that's the way to put it. They don't have a ton of guys from the Blue Jackets, but they have some, and they're accepting guys from elsewhere. And sometimes you find teams like that. You know, sometimes, especially with goalies, you have to find a landing spot sometimes for goalies because there are limited spots, and it might not be with your affiliate. But when I look at Vancouver, they just have not made a big investiture right now in the ECHL, and they just need to find a spot for one of their guys. Carson Folk lands in Kalamazoo, and so far I'd say it's working out. Let's get to our team of the week, and that is the Utah Grizzlies, the affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche and Colorado Eagles. Right now, Utah is fifth in the Mountain Division. Um, and, you know, the first person we're going to profile, it'd be remiss not to, is the reigning ECHL goaltender of the week, Trent Miner. The big name there right now, 2019 seventh-round pick of the Avalanche, has a 915 save percentage through 18 games. What do you like about his game so far? Well, he has been on lately. So you mentioned goaltender of the week. In his last three games, he is 3-0, stopped 98.4% of his shots, uh, had a shutout in one of those games. So we're talking about 46 saves in a 4-1 victory over Idaho, uh, 35 in a one nothing shutout at Tulsa, and 44 saves in a 4-1 victory over Tulsa. So some things you need to keep in mind. That division is very tough. Anybody that's listened to this show for a while, I have talked about Idaho before. Um, Wichita is a team on the rise. Um, the Utah has to face these teams a lot. They've played a lot of teams against, oh, and also Rapid City, excuse me. So it's a tough division. The fact that we're bringing up goaltending first is relevant because if there is a weakness with Utah, it might be the defense. They've been a little bit spotty, but they are getting bailed out by a lot of goaltending, by multiple guys. And Trent Miner is obviously the big one. Uh, you know, he's a good-looking prospect, uh, still a young guy. Um, I believe he's 21. Uh, have to look that up. But, uh, you know, just, you know, he, he's come up big in the clutch lately for a team that tends to give up a lot of shots from high-quality um, uh, positions. And another goaltender, actually, Lucas Parikh. He's on an AHL deal, but he's been pretty note noteworthy as well. Yeah, he has been good. You know, he's he's three seven and zero, oh, so that's not great. But I look at that save percentage; that's over nine hundred. He also has a shutout. He was a third round pick of the Kings in two thousand nineteen. He's only twenty one. I might have mixed up my ages there. Uh, he's a bigger guy. He's six foot four. Played at the World Juniors for the Czech Republic in the U twenties. Interesting thing about him: he is the only Western Hockey League goalie ever to score a goal and record a shutout in the same game. So there are some kind of cool highlights and stories out there about him. And I think we should mention the third goalie on there, which is Garrett Metcalf. Now, he was a Ducks draft pick. He has also looked good for Utah this year. 7-2-0, 9-0-5 save percentage. Um, funny videos out there about him, too. Uh, I saw when he played at Mercyhurst, he got a 10-minute misconduct. Had to go to the penalty box. When was the last time you saw a goalie have to go in full gear, serve a 10-minute penalty? Ever. That was pretty interesting, too. But so Utah, I mean, it's pick your poison right now with them. They got three goalies, and that could be a double-edged sword at the ECHL level because not enough ice time for everybody, right? And usually those NHL teams, when they send goalies down the ECHL, they want them playing. 
So that can be a dicey situation. It's something I'm seeing in Fort Wayne right now when you have those three goalies, some of those guys on higher level contracts. But all three of those guys are doing a great job of keeping Utah in those games in a very tough division right now. How about Cameron Wright, the team's leading goal scorer? Or he's point a, scorer, sorry. Yes, well, he's, he's a good player. Leads the Grizzlies, has 11 goals and 28 points in 32 games. Those are not, you know, you know knock your socks off numbers, but those are really good numbers uh, for a rookie. So played last year, University of Denver. Uh, prior to that, played four years at Bowling Green. So last year, 23 goals and 34 points in 41 games for Denver. That is pretty impressive. He was uh, their leader in goals. And, of course, they won the NCAA championship. So he comes in with just a great resume, right? And he has lived up to it. Now, he's not the biggest guy, six foot one, 200 pounds. And when you watch him, the way I would describe it is kind of effortless. Like, he's sneaky good. Like, he's going to do a lot of good things, but – I really like when you watch him in those high traffic areas between the circles, he's getting off quick shots. It doesn't look like he's expending a ton of energy to me, which is something I'd like to see because you know, those guys are going to be sneaky good and they're going to give it to you for the whole game. So there's really nothing not to like about what Cameron Wright has done so far for Utah. And finally, Zach Seckos, another, you know, depth piece for the Colorado Eagles. He's got some upside as well now. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, the Eagles have put some talented players uh, down in the ECHL. And the Eagles, of course, as a former ECHL team, they have an appreciation for the development model of the ECHL. And you see it with what they're doing with what was a formal rival, the Utah Grizzlies. Uh, but Zach Sekos, you know, not big, five foot nine, 175 pounds. He's got eight goals and 15 points in just 18 games. He's 26. He played at Clarkson University. He's been out for the last week or two. So I think there's a little bit of an injury there. But uh, what I would say about him is he is, a, a, again, an opportunistic player. He's not afraid to shoot. He's a guy that's, he's one of those that you think you're going to beat him around in the corners because he's small, but he's elusive. So I've seen him come out of some dangerous situations, come out with some points and some playmaking. So, you know, Utah, you said at the start, I believe they're in fifth place, but there's a lot to like on this team if they can shore up some things get those goaltenders a little bit more help, get these offensive guys that we just talked about, get them a little bit more support, and they could make some noise in what's a, a very difficult division. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got for today's show. Thanks again to Joe for coming on. Awesome interview, great insight, and hopefully we'll have either him on again or someone else in the league to kind of give us a, a look beyond the curtain. But yeah, until next week, thanks, thanks everyone for listening.